The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 846 for Monday, November 30th, 2020. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We take those, we answer them, we share them. The goal is for each and every one of us to learn at least five new things we do. We have really a traditional Mac Geek Gab, at least as far as the agenda I can see right now. We have quick tips to start things off, then some questions, then some cool stuff found. We've got some stuff about Big Sur and M1 Macs in there and some stuff that's not about those at all because we like to mix it up. Some iOS 14 stuff, you know, all over the place. Sponsors for this episode include expressvpn.com slash MGG, headspace.com slash MGG, checkout.com slash MGG, Otherworld Computing, and Business Wars from Wondering. We'll talk more about each of those uh, individually throughout the episode. Of course, you can always learn about MacEcab sponsors at MacEcab.com slash sponsors, where you can see all the deals and everything. We save them for you, even if they're not sponsors anymore. We save them for you. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. Yeah, man. <laughs> I think you've adopted my style for that. That sounded very, uh, that sounded familiar. Eerily familiar. Is that the, is that the right way mm -hmm. we would say that? Yeah. I guess, I guess we probably sound eerily familiar to our, uh, to, to everyone listening to. So I guess that's a good thing. 2020, the year of the eerily familiar and unfamiliar. I have a quick tip to start with, John, and that is, I, you know, I started my, when I got my new, well, when I got my 12 Pro, uh, I started from scratch. I did not migration assistant over. When I got my mini, I migration assistanted from my 12 Pro over to the mini, uh, to my 12 mini, which I'm loving still, by the way. I have not put any apps on my home screen at all. Well, a few, but most apps I am not putting on my home screen because it just got cluttered. I'm using the app library. And my daughter was asking me, how do you make sure things don't newly down? How do, not just things. How do you make sure newly downloaded apps don't appear on your home screen and screen and start growing it like they used to? And there is an answer settings, home screen, newly downloaded apps, and you can set them to go to app library only so that when you download something new, it doesn't just start tacking it on to the end of wherever your home screen is. It just dumps it into the app library and that's the end of that. So uh, I have found that quite handy. So settings, home screen, newly downloaded apps, app library only. And, uh, you know, that way you can keep your keep the bloat from happening. The home screen bloat. We don't like home screen bloat. So, you know, it's, we don't so we don't bloat it. I guess is the reality. I learned something new this week from listener Jeff that blew my mind and I did not want to bury the lead. Listener Jeff says, uh, I just, just took the plunge into Big Sur on one of my two Macs. I give a big thumbs up to the new tabbed interface in mail. John, I had no, I, I knew they'd made changes to the user interface in mail. I did know, did not know that they added tabs. 
Uh, he says the view menu in Catalina allows one to toggle between viewing and hiding a tab bar. But as far as I can determine, it does not allow one to actually create multiple tabs mail in big Sur, which was true. It was weird that you could have, um, you could show the tab bar in mail in big in Catalina, but I, I could never create more than one tab. So, uh, but mail and big Sur changes this and now offers a fully tabbed interface, just like Safari, Safari and preview. This is a terrific convenience. And, uh, and he showed us a screenshot. He says, I have two tabs open inbox and another one for presumably his work. He says, these are two mailboxes I use the most and having them visible simultaneously is a real time saver. Just like in Safari, the plus icon at the right of the tab bar lets you add a new tab and view show all tabs to displays selectable large thumbnails of all open tabs. And for full deal details, of course, go to help mail help and enter tabs in the search bar. So this has been amazing. I, it has completely changed my workflow in Big Sur. And now I can't imagine managing my mail without tabs. I have tabs. It, it's so often that I will be answering Mac Geekab questions, you know, and I have our, our Mac Geekab, either feedback at MacGeekab.com or premium at MacGeekab.com mailboxes open and or mailbox open. Then I want to go back to, uh, you know, my inbox to check something else. Maybe I'm I'm waiting for an email to come in or something. And it completely screws up where I am because I sort of manage things by unread status. And so when you leave a mailbox, it resets all of that and, uh, and sort of changes some things. And now being able to have those in tabs, the worst part is I have to remember to use the tabs and not just change to the mailboxes. So thank you, Jeff, for sharing that. It's amazing. 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 I can't overstate. Yeah, I remember when you were going on about Finder with tabs. Well, it was iChat with tabs was the big one that we <laughs> oh, wanted was? for okay. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we don't have that anymore. But, you know, at least it's, we sort of do in that we have, you know, messages in an interface. I don't know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Of course, there's something in mail that I don't like, but we'll talk about that later. Right. We do. We have a conversation about mail coming up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so... So, yeah. All right. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so I noticed something, Dave, on the new phone here, just uh, poking through the various uh, various menus. Um, so there are two places um, that you can link to other devices on your phone. So one is settings, messages, text message forwarding. And another is settings, cellular calls on other devices. Um, hmm. And so I looked in, in, not in, in both areas, Dave, though, here was the problem. There were what I'm going to call phantom devices is that it listed John's iPhone eight, which I don't have anymore. And I just got the gift card for my phone because I traded it in with Apple. Um, and it it wasn't not working. It was just there was stuff there that that I no longer owned. Right. How do you fix that? Well, um, and we got a, so this is a, a a problem that's been around for quite a while because I searched um, for iPhone phantom devices. Yeah. Um, and I found an article by our pal uh, Glenn Fleischman. Believe it or not. Um, saying, oh, here's how you solve this problem. And in a nutshell, though you can read the article, we'll link to it, but um, in a nutshell, here's how you solve that problem, Dave. Change your iCloud password. And it will then reset that list to all of your devices. 
Yeah. Now what's going to happen though, is all your devices are going to say, Hey, you got to, uh, you got to, uh, you got to enter your new password. You got to log in again. Did. You yeah. Gotta, yeah. Well, you get a, you get a badge, uh, you know, the system, the settings, uh, the badge comes up and it says, yeah, there's a problem with iCloud. You, uh, you got to put in your new password. Right. And once you do that, it populates it with your current set of devices, which it does now for both those features. Um, so I'm guessing I hadn't really used, I'm guessing with like your iPhone eight, you did not erase the device before you traded it in. Cause that should have logged you out of iCloud when you did it. Oh no, I did. I, um, really? huh. yeah, I, um, what is it? Or settings. Uh, you gotta turn, you gotta turn off, you gotta turn off, find my iPhone. Right. Um, which I did when I went to the Verizon store because they, they had to check something. Um, sure. Apparently they can't do it if that's on. Um, but yeah, so that's how that that's how you solve that problem. But if you had to I turn off, even, find my iPhone at the Verizon store, it means that you weren't yet logged out of that device. You, you know what I mean? Like, like I think if you had gone into, uh, it, right, I may not have logged. It, 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 I, I yeah, if you thought go, I logged out, if you go into settings, general reset, erase all content and settings, that will remove your device from these lists too because it it completely wipes the device logs you oh well that's what i well i did well i absolutely did that yeah i mean i wiped the device before i sent it off but how are you but still didn't logged log in me to out find my icloud then i don't no i wasn't right huh that's weird huh all right well there you go changing your password that it that's not a bad idea to do well that list isn't a bad thing to look at right like to make sure that you don't mm -hmm. have any rogue devices out there too. That's a nice, nice way to see what you've got. So, yeah. Cool. I mean, I remember you and I had a similar issue. I think uh, I sold you one of my old machines and you gave it to your uh, son. And yep. apparently I didn't go through the correct process because I would still see the machine um, on my list of devices. Right. I think he, he eventually removed it. So. Yeah. That was back when Apple kept a list of the devices you had purchased from them. Uh, now they've replaced that list with a list of devices that are logged into your iCloud account, which makes life way easier for exactly like mm -hmm. these scenarios. Like, no, I sold that. It's like, okay, great. It doesn't matter that you used to own it. Now you, yeah, now you have it. Oh, I like it. I like it. It's good. Ah, nice find, man. All right, cool. Moving on. Yeah. Or are we good? We mm -hmm. have, yep. Okay. Uh, listener bill with a quick tip. He says, I found a solution to something that's been an occasional pain. The pain you select an app using F4 or Launchpad on your Mac and the icon becomes persistent. The only way I had found to clear it was a reboot. I finally found a solution. Evidently this bug has been around since at least Yosemite launch uh, uh, Launchpad and drag an icon slightly. This will clear any other stuck icon. And he's got a Apple discussion thread that talks more about this. So if you've seen this problem uh, or if you see this problem uh, repeatedly, Bill has the workaround, the, the quick fix, the Band-Aid. But, you know, sometimes a Band-Aid's all you need. So thanks for that, Bill. Good stuff. I've never seen that, but I don't use Launchpad, John. So maybe I'm not the right uh the right guy to no to i don't ask. either yeah. I, i've run into this as well every now and then a, a badge in your dock will get stuck you know like with a, a indicator or something and i found another way to solve it is to get rid of it and add it back in 
I wonder if kill all doc would do that, right? You can go to, if you have weird doc problems, you can go to terminal and type kill all doc and, uh, kill all. And it's, it's lowercase. I'll put it in the show notes so that everybody has it, but it's kill all one word, all lowercase K I L L A L L space doc with a capital D. So that's the, that's the way to kill the doc process without trying to figure out what the doc process and ID is and things like that. So, all right, Saranac has a tip for us related to last week's episode where we were talking about holding down different keys to make different effects happen when you change the sound. And one of the effects was so that you could hear uh, an audible click when you change the volume to know where the volume was. Well, you can have that on all the time, as Saranac points out, by going into the sound system preferences and going to the sound effects tab and one of the checkboxes there, sure enough, is play feedback when volume is changed. So thank you, Saranac. Great little quick tip. I like it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, speaking of sound, John, listener Todd mm-hmm. brings us to a, a slightly different quick tip, but one that might be handy. He says, with the demise of network utility, I figured I'd share one of my favorite tips with the command line utility, ping. Running ping-a will make an audible noise whenever a ping is returned. This is helpful if you are without an internet connection, want to know when your connection has been restored. Just run ping-a and walk away until it would be ping-a to an IP address or a, a DNS address and walk away until your computer starts beeping. This is also helpful if you find yourself in a scenario when you can't pay attention to your computer screen When I was consulting, I'd frequently find myself behind a network rack messing with cables and unable to see my screen. I'd have ping-a running, and as soon as I'd hear my computer beep, I'd know I did something right or something wrong. But you knew the state changed. Yes, exactly. That's great. Yeah, I routinely have a ping running on my screen on my iMac in the office, you know, kind of way over there at one side of the room. And then I'll be over where the network stuff is way at the other side of the room. And because I don't wear my glasses in the office, uh, I can see, I have to like learn the shapes of the, uh, of, of the window and see like, Oh yeah, I can see the text is longer. I think I'm getting responses now. Having ping dash. A might not be a bad thing in those scenarios. I can, I, I can see pretty well, but I do need uh, glasses for distance vision for like screens, for example, watching movies or watching pings on a screen way over there. So, yeah, I like it, Todd. That's good. I'm definitely going to use that. That's great. I never, I never knew about that in ping. Uh, never, and certainly never thought to even want it. That's my favorite kind of quick tip. One that you will absolutely use, but didn't even know you wanted. So I like it. All right. Any, uh, any thoughts on that, John, before we move on? We got two more quick tips left. We're rocking through them here. I'm pretty stoked about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no, we're good. All right, good. All right. Ciro shares. He says, uh, if you force pressure on your home screen on your iPhone at the bottom, this activates the icons and folders to start to jiggle. If you just gently click into that same area, it will stop the activity as opposed to having to go to the top of your screen and tap done. Interesting. Since I tested it a bit further on the remaining rows of the screen, I have either icons or folders on and found that if I press and hold into an empty space on that page that has no icon or folder, the same activation of wiggliness would be activated. And also a one tap into that same empty space 
will stop that action. So starting jiggly mode and stopping jiggly mode by tapping into empty spaces, more specifically, the stopping of jiggly mode makes sense there. Thanks for that, Ciro. That's good. I like it. This is what I love. Quick tips, things you didn't know you needed until you know about them. Now you need them. All right. One last one. Unless you have thoughts on that, John, mm -hmm. I got one last one from gray. Mm -hmm. Gray reminds us uh, you were talking in the last show about using Apple Pay when you have your mask on and having to type in your uh, passcode. Well, so long as your Apple Watch is paired with your phone, Apple Pay will work just fine from the watch. And it's not necessary to enter your passcode on your phone because your watch is already unlocked from your phone. I forget about the ability to use my Apple Watch for Apple Pay all the time. It's usually as I'm putting my phone back into my pocket after I've done Apple Pay that I remember, oh yeah, I probably could have done that with my watch. Well, maybe the mask thing will make me remember because instead of having to go through the the headache of, or the, the process, I don't want to say it's a headache, but the process of typing my passcode, I just tap my watch, hold it up, good to go, done. No passcode, no face ID, no necessary because your watch is already yours. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I know. It's a handy thing because you're well, your watch unlocks when it's on your wrist and your phone unlocks you, that you can set it that way. You can also set it that your watch has to be you have to unlock your watch with a passcode. But uh, presuming you have it set in default mode, which matches your phone. And as soon as you take it off your wrist, it locks. So it knows whether it's on a wrist on your wrist. Well, on a wrist or not. And assuming that the phone is close to it when the phone unlocks. Now the watch unlocks and now everything is good to go. So, yeah. So it's the watch's proximity to your phone and that you have it on that lets you complete the Apple Pay? Correct. Uh, yeah, although I don't know if a cellular watch would... Well, I, I think your watch can do Apple Pay. I think I've done Apple Pay with my watch even when I've had my phone... Lot, like if I left my phone in the car or whatever, I think you can do Apple Pay with with the watch as long as the watch is unlocked, which you can do on the face of the watch as well, of course. So because with Apple Pay, your phone or your watch, whatever device is is providing your end of the transaction with Apple Pay does not need a network connection. Apple Pay is the only network connection is on the other side. It's not like it's doing a two way network connection. So your phone doesn't need to be online uh, and nor does your watch. For Apple Pay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got a little one that uh, one of the stores that I go to, so I was complaining about the fact that uh, Face ID yeah. uh, doesn't work well when you have a mask on. And right. uh, two of the people behind the counter also had iPhones that have Face ID. And here's a tip one of him, one of the guys gave me and yeah. he demonstrated it to me. Yeah. If you pull down your mask so your nose is now, you're, Normally, you're not supposed to do this. You're sure. supposed to have, you know, the top part of the mask over your nose. But right. he pulled down his mask until his both his eyes and his nose was visible. And that was enough information for Face ID to be happy. So interesting in a pinch, you know, yeah. just, you know, don't breathe on anybody well, that's when you're key. doing this. Right. Yeah, you're probably mm -hmm. in close proximity to somebody else. So that might be the time when you don't want to do that. But good to know for for sort of general use if you're. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, they had shields up. So yeah, there was right. That's true. Little chance that that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. But, um, huh? Yeah. Because I think, yeah, because uh, I tried this, the thing is you cannot do a face ID profile wearing a mask. It just refuses to do it. Right. Right. 
Yeah, it it didn't initially refuse to do it because, of course, you know, Apple didn't anticipate the pandemic, uh, you know, for, for Face ID, but they changed it pretty quickly. You could initially you could sort of trick it into doing it with the masks for some people, not everybody, and probably some masks as well. And then Apple decided, no, 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 no we're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. All right. Cool stuff found done. Uh, the next thing that we're going to talk about is we've got some stuff about M1 and Big Sur, including some re reflections from you. The next thing I want to do, though, John, is talk about our first couple of sponsors, if that's okay by you. Dandy. All right. Our first sponsor today is Cool Stuff Found for sure. It's Otherworld Computing with the fact that their new Thunderbolt hub has Mac compatibility, you heard it here on this episode first, Thunderbolt hubbing technology you've always wanted is now made possible for the first time by OWC. You have four fully functional Thunderbolt ports for your computer. All Thunderbolt ports are backwards compatible for USB 2. You can plug everything in, the same device compatibility and performance, whether plugged into the hub or directly into your machine. You can manage more devices like storage, two 4K displays, or one 5K, 6K, 8K display. This is truly a revolutionary development made possible by OWC and made possible on your Thunderbolt 3 equipped Mac with Big Sur. Like I said, you know, Larry was on the show. He told us all about it. And I am so stoked that OWC is our sponsor and that we are able to tell you about this. OWC's Thunderbolt Hub is available for pre-order now through MaxSales.com for just $149 and will begin shipping soon in early December. So go check it out, MaxSales.com. Our thanks to OWC for creating this, for telling us about it, and for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Headspace. I have been using Headspace. It's a meditation app, and I've been using it for years, and I am so stoked that they have come on board as a sponsor here because Headspace is my daily dose of mindfulness, and it can be yours, too, in the form of these guided meditations in their easy-to-use app. They are one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So, Whatever the situation, you need help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions. You're a parent with kids, they even have morning meditations that you can do with your kids. And they it's great. They've got like a three-minute SOS meditation if you want to do that real quick, or of course, longer things. They walk you through this stuff. If you're an expert meditator, they've got stuff for you. If you've never meditated before in your life, they've got stuff for you. They know what they're doing. Headspace is backed by 25 published articles with 600,000 five-star reviews and over 60 million downloads, making it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash MGG. That's headspace.com slash MGG for a one-month free trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. That's the best deal offered right now. So go to headspace.com slash MGG today, and our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Uh We've talked on this show about how, at least right now, if you wipe the drive, if you go into recovery mode on a new M1 Mac and wipe the drive in a fairly typical, but at the moment, very wrong way, you, uh, you can get yourself into a scenario where you wind up with a bricked Mac. Sometimes that bricked Mac can be fixed 
on your own, if you have another Mac and you run Apple Configurator 2 and, and go through some machinations, kind of like you might with an iOS device, no great surprise, but even that isn't flawless. And I almost ran myself into this problem and, and fortunately found it and avoided it. But several listeners, of course, have gone through this. Well, Philippe has a uh, has an answer. Well, perhaps for us uh, in that instead of going into recovery mode to uh, wipe the Mac, you go into iCloud and you use erase Mac leveraging the find my Mac or find my device, you know, whatever that will evolve into. But for now, find my Mac uh, on iCloud. You can, you can remote erase a, a device doing that solved this in a way that was uh, manageable for Philippe. I uh, said after updating to the new M1 Mac mini to 1101 and setting up with, with an admin account using my iCloud credentials, which basically initiated the activation lock on my computer. Uh, I used migration assistant from a clone of my Catalina Mac mini to bring over all my user accounts. The migration did not go well and I had all kinds of permission issues and failure to launch issues. So I decided to delete the partition from recovery mode and start with a fresh. Well, not so fast. On restart, I had to enter my iCloud credentials to bypass the activation lock. Even so, the Big Sur install would fail about halfway through with a failed, pers failed to personalize error. I tried several times with no avail. I contacted Apple support and was escalated to a senior advisor. And as noted, the eventual solution, log into iCloud.com from another device, go to find iPhone and initiate an erase Mac from there. This apparently cleared the activation lock and allowed the installation to go through. Kudos to the Apple tech who stayed on the phone with me through the entire process. Yeah, very, very, that, that would be one way to do it. I still haven't done it on mine. As I noted when I was talking about it, what I did was I just added another volume. So I have two uh, startup volumes on my M1 Air, one that is the, the sort of default volume that came with it. And one that is the one that I added when I wanted to go back in and kind of do migration assistant from scratch. So hopefully Apple will sort this out. But in the meantime, that is a, a tested way. It is, it seems to be Apple's recommended way of doing this, at least for Philippe and talking with the senior advisor. So hopefully, but they got to sort this out so that you can do it from recovery mode, like you would expect to be able to, uh, where they shouldn't let you do it from recovery mode one or the other. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. Any, uh, any thoughts on that, John? Um, uh, I hope all those problems will go away yeah. by the time I get an M1 Mac. Right. Yeah. That would be the trick, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, what uh, you want to take <laughs> us to Paul, Mr. Braun? Yes. So Paul has a big sir mess. <laughs> uh, here we go. Greetings all. This weekend, I attempted to update my iMac to big sir. When I was done, it did not recognize my external Drobo drive. Fortunately, I'd made a bootable backup of my Catalina system using Carbon Copy Cloner. I tend to keep all my data and even some of my larger apps on the Drobo. Reading through Drobo's support page, it suggested that if Drobo dashboard saw it and showed everything was okay to run Disk Utility and if that was not the fix to run Disk Warrior. Mm. Due to circumstances, I wound up buying a new copy of Disk Warrior 5, which would not even launch under Big Sur. 
I wound up booting into the Catalina backup, and other than being pitifully slow, I could access the Drobo and everything was working fine. So I had a CCC restore the system, and the next morning when I got up, I rebooted my Mac, and Catalina came up fine, and the Drobo wound up mounted and was accessible. So the situation I find myself in is shown in the attached image. I seem to remember you talking about this on Mac Geek, uh, but don't remember what the fix was. If you can point me to the episode. Um, and basically, uh, the screenshot that I can see, but you can't, um, is that he has two Macintosh HD-data volumes. You had this problem, disc. right? Uh, yes. Not, um, with, not with Big Sur, but I think with Catalina, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he goes a little further. Um, uh, so I guess one of them is empty and update has this, and he also has another one called update. Yeah. So here's the thing. So he's got Macintosh HD, Macintosh HD data twice and then update and then update dash data. So there's like, there's five instead of two. So what, what's up with that? Um, and then, yeah, he gave some stats between his Macintosh HD and update. Um, as far as I can tell, I think update is just like a temporary staging area and it just didn't um, delete it. But, um, but here, here, here's my reply. So, um, fortunately, updating a Big Sur on my MacBook Pro that was running Catalina was uneventful, but I did have an older version of, um, so maybe a suggestion form. I did have an older version of the install macOS Big Sur app. Maybe it was a beta. So make sure to get the latest one. Mm. I wonder if that was the uh, cause of the problem. Um, through system preferences, software update. The installer app that I have is shown as version 16.1.04. So. Uh, just check the version of your installer and, and see if it's it's around that. Um, you may have gotten an earlier one that that you know has some bug, but I do recall Dave. So I I did have this problem when I was upgrading from Mojave to Catalina, and that after the upgrade, which converted my file system to APFS, I had multiple Macintosh SSD data volumes. Um, and yeah, the way I solved it was. Yeah, looked at the size. You can see that in this utility. And one was what I thought the right amount of data. And the other one was almost, but not quite empty. Oh, interesting. So I deleted it and that solved that problem. Um, as for the update volume, um, I did a little surfing and found something on Reddit. The question being, do I need the update APFS volume on my Mac? Um, and I think the answer in this case is the same, is you can or at least the person who asked the question was able to safely delete those. Yeah, I know. So of course, I always make a backup, but um, update doesn't sound to be necessary at all. And if there are duplicate datas, again, just compare the two to figure out which one to get rid of. Yeah, I, I know that when it, the, the way software and system updates are done now with APFS, because volumes can be created in... Uh, and, and, you know, it, 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 things can be duplicated without actually duplicating the amount of space used uh, is it installs the update system partition to a new volume and then just renames things around once it is successful and complete. 
So I think the update, I'm guessing, but it sure seems this way, that the update volume is that temporary storage. And in the end, should all have been rolled back together, clearly something went wrong and it did not finish the way that it should have. And it can't do that. So uh, or couldn't do that. So you got to do it manually. But yeah, I mean, you know, if it were me, I would shoot a backup of the boot volume with something like carbon copy cloner, which should grab the, uh, you know, the, the data as well. Look at the backup, confirm that what's there is what you think should be there. Then go, then unmount the backup just so you're not deleting the wrong thing. Go into disk utility and delete, uh, remove those errant volumes, the update volumes and the extra Macintosh HD data. So, yeah, I don't know why we even like my MacBook air with an M one chip and an SSD that names the hard drive or it names the internal storage Macintosh HD. But you know, that's a holdover. We will, uh, it's a tradition that we will live with. It seems for a little while longer. So yeah, cool. You, yep. uh, you, and uh, speaking of carbon copy cloner, Dave, yes. um, you may have noticed, or at least I did within the last week, um, Carbon Copy Cloner now claims to be able to do a bootable Big Sur on Intel. Correct. Correct. Yeah, that's right. You had to jump through a hoop previously. Now, I still don't think it works. Yeah, it's still not working on uh, M1 Max right. because they changed something. But, they changed uh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yep. Uh, which is good that they've got it with running with big cert so yeah 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 you um you finally upgraded your macbook pro your 16 inch to big sur correct john yes how'd that go um uh you know it was it everything is working as it had before with a few exceptions okay uh one dave is that they changed mail well, we talked about that. I, I think they changed mail in a good way. A, we have tabs, but B, we can adjust the size of our columns again. So the the long gear of Catalina's mail in a box is is over. So I, I thought that was good. What what did you find, though? Um, Well, here's what I found, Dave. And uh, uh, one of my friends on Twitter confirmed this. Um, for every mail account, Dave, it now shows inbox drafts sent junk trash and archive mailboxes. Right. So you don't have the consolidated list of them at the top of uh, the site. Oh, no, it's, it's there, too. Oh, it's there, too. Right. Now, not all of them are in the favorites section. Right. Um, not all of them are there and you can actually add them. There's a little plus and you can add them. But that's where I want them to. Be. I, I I don't want to see them twice, Dave. It, it, to me, it's just a huge waste of space. And the sidebar there, yeah, I, I agree. I I wound up moving the things that I want to see into favorites, um, mm -hmm. and then below that, I have my smart mailboxes because you can drag, you can change the order not only of mailboxes in the favorites section, but you can also mm -hmm. change the order of accounts or sections that are shown too. Like if you want to make your smart mailboxes, the next thing after favorites, just drag, you know, mm -hmm. click right on the label where it says smart mailboxes and move that around. So I have 
I have, I have my favorites at the top and then uh, smart mailboxes. And then below that, I have my mail accounts there. Uh, so I don't have to see all of the extra stuff. I kind of like though, I, I, I see what you, I totally see what you're saying about them, you know, being there duplicated, but I kind of like being able to see the entirety of the IMAP mailboxes for a given account that way. I mean, you can even twist mm -hmm. it closed if you want, but I always found it weird. Like I'd be looking and it was like, Oh, right. In order to get to the inbox here, I have to go to the top. I mean, it, like, I understood it, but I, I can also understand why Apple might have wanted to uh, to not, mm -hmm. you know, to, to not keep that separated. It is weird, though, because it's you've got two places to see the same thing, which is always bad. So, yeah. So I may, you know, like you do, uh, create smart mailboxes that will not show all the uh, all the additional stuff that I don't want to see. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, for a lot of it, I don't even have to create smart mailboxes. I just drag, I just make the mailboxes in my or folders, whatever you want to call them. The, the folders that I will look at, I make favorites and then that way they float to the top and I don't have to think about it. Um, and I don't have to look down at my mailbox. So if I have like a, an action mailbox, well, I've made that a favorite. So now that's at the top exactly where I want it to be exactly as I want it to be. You know, another thing that you can do in mail and you've been able to do this for a while, but, uh, but it is, it is, you know, one of those, um, one of those interesting things is there is a favorites bar available in mail and you can, uh, surface it by going to the view menu, show favorites bar, and you can drag mailboxes up to that too, which is super handy for kind of moving around, your most used mailboxes right at the top of mail so that you're not having to go to the sidebar. Again, it's yet a third place now where you can get the same data, but I don't know. I kind of like it. So it, it we will all find okay. ways of making mail work. What else, man? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that, that I do like that kind of tickled me the first time I saw it is progress bars are now like Knight Rider or like Cylons. Sure. And it goes back and forth, back and forth instead of, uh, um, you know, instead of a yeah. incremental progress bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of cute. Yeah. Um, and then when I was um, in Time Machine, I noticed this small but subtle change, Dave. Um, in Big Sur, Time Machine now only shows XXX terabytes available. It does not show XX of YY. Oh, that's Not sure why they made that change. I kind of like the uh, yeah. knowing the two numbers now they they just brought it down to one so interesting yeah so how do you know when you're other than i mean you know when when time machine runs out of space it'll tell you right right but, right uh, i would kind of like a heads up that that you know event may be approaching so i could change things huh so. yeah that's interesting huh right well that's how apple Apple makes Apple giveth Apple taketh away. I guess that's mm -hmm. the way we think about that one. Yeah. But again, other than that, everything's a, I got, I got to upgrade little snitch. Um, Cause the prior version doesn't work on big Sur. but do other they, than that, all uh, do they I, have, mm -hmm. does little snitch have a big Sur compatible version? Have they sorted that out? Um, 
uh, it would seem so. They offered to, uh, uh, though in my case, it's it's a paid upgrade. So. Oh, 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 I see. You got to go to Little Snitch 5. Yeah, well, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Just like, just like you know, mail, uh, uh, small cubes, mail suite, mm. things like that. Yeah. I also saw, yeah, it's been interesting. Um, it, I mean, I moved to Big Sur on release day, but also with the M1 Mac, I've been very, very aggressively on top of software updates. And uh, I did find GPG tools uh, for Mac now exists in a Big Sur and native M1 uh, version. And that's true of a lot of things. Uh, 1Password has a beta that is native for M1. Uh, I'm trying to think. There was one other that came up for me the other day where I had to just go grab the beta version. And then it was like, oh, yeah, we're good to go. But, uh, it, you know, every day more and more apps are coming out native for M1, which I love. It's great. So I'm um, very excited about uh, about that. So uh, although, honestly, unless it's an app that won't work without being native, and there are very, very few of those mail plugins, it seems are one of them. So I was happy to see GPG tools and small cube mail suite. Uh, but um, but otherwise, like one password, for example, I'm happy to know now that it's running native. But I see zero performance difference. I mean, it's it's not it's not a factor. So um, we were doing Zoom calls on that M by, uh, the other day, and we did one that was actually a show, uh, sort of a show over Zoom. We weren't interacting, and uh, and so I put it on the TV just to watch this thing that was happening on Zoom that we were doing as a family, and I uh, ran it from my M1 Air, and it, that Zoom call lasted maybe an hour, hour and a half. And, uh, so my air was sitting on a blanket on the couch and of course, you know, doing zoom and, and air playing to the TV and all that stuff. And when we finished, uh, you know, it had used maybe 10% of its battery doing all of that in an hour plus, and was quite literally cold to the touch, which was pretty cool. So it's a, it, yeah, Apple really has flipped the script. I, I don't know, like, I don't know why Apple is first with this It is the thing I know a lot of other people have had, have had arm based laptops before, uh, but they haven't had high performance arm based laptops before now. And this really does change everything. And I, I don't, I, it do, it just doesn't make sense to me that there's literally nobody else out there doing this, at least not to my knowledge. So I, well, my, I imagine that will change John. So. All right. <clears throat> um, let's go to, should we do some questions or more? Do you have more on big Sur, John? No, we're good. Okay, cool. Uh, moving on to Richard, we'll start us in our questions here. He says, after I upgraded to Big Sur on my 2017 MacBook Pro, Spotlight will not search for any non-Apple applications. After Googling around, I did try to deselect applications in System Preferences Spotlight and then reselect it to see if that would re-index the Spotlight database. No such luck. Any ideas? Yeah, Rich, I dealt with this too. Uh, and I've dealt with it several times and it, it seems to always happen after a software upgrade or a migration or something where large amounts of data are just changed on the drive. And I, I, I had it on my air where it would only find some things, but not all things. So I deleted my spotlight database. I went into terminal and I typed, uh, I think I probably had to do it with sudo. So I'll put the sudo in the command, but, uh, but it was, I believe sudo S U D O M D util 
dash capital E and then slash. And what that says is MD utilities is the MD util is the spotlight management command line tool dash capital E means erase and slash means erase the database for the entire boot drive. And by doing that, it'll rebuild and take a little while even on an SSD, but that solved my problem for me. Um, and, uh, and Kiwi Graham in the chat room at live.macgeekup.com points out that, uh, of course, Onyx is your friend, too. Is there an Onyx for Big Sur yet? Uh, I didn't think there was Not the last, last time I, I looked. Checked. I'm looking now. No, there is no Onyx for Big Sur, but there will be. So we will put that in the show notes. Uh, but uh, but it's not there yet. Uh, he evidently wants a little more time, which I can understand. I, I would rather be able to trust Onyx than not. So so for now, rebuilding Spotlight Database is that. Yeah. All right, John, you had uh, there were a couple of Mac Mini performance things that came in this week that you took. Mm hmm. Yeah. So here's a here's the first one. Uh, from John, uh, who uh, says, I write you in hopes that you can help me sort out a perplexing set of behaviors that have been happening on my late 2012 Mac Mini. I had one of those. It's currently running Mac OS 10.7, the latest version you can run on that machine. I kept all my software up to date using Mac Updater. It has 16 gigs of RAM and a one terabyte Fusion Drive. Make note of that, folks. Fusion Drive. Uh, it's been working admirably for me over the years and until the past few weeks has had a few problems, none of them major. The current behavior I'm experiencing is that multiple programs, most typically but not exclusively the Finder and our Pathfinder, after a relatively short period of time, become unresponsive. I'll be working in one app without any issues, and then if I need to do something in Pathfinder or the Finder involving file management, I will find it is unresponsive and often have to force quit the app. Other applications may be fine and continue to work as expected. Um, sometimes other utilities like LaunchBar or Amazing have become affected as well. If I try to relaunch the offending app, it may or may not work, work correctly for a while or will rapidly slow down or become unresponsive again. If I try to log out, sometimes I get a message that the Mac can't log out because it could not, not quit an app that I've already forced quit. There was one time I was trying to install an app and the progress bar of the installation got 95% to the end and was supposed to be finishing installer scripts, but hung. A couple of weeks before that, I experienced another unusual behavior where if I restarted my Mac, it would reboot, but would take literally a full minute of black screen before the Apple logo appeared and it began the startup process. I couldn't sort out what happened, but it disappeared after a week or so. But before the freezing app problem began, I have no idea if the two are related. Meanwhile, the computer I'm sending this message from a 2016 MacBook Pro 13 inch running the same software as the mini is running just fine. So I decided to troubleshoot. Given freezes for multiple apps, but often Finder or Finder related, I thought it could be a disk or directory problem. I ran disk first aid um, and everything checked out. I also ran, uh, yeah, so disk first aid said everything was great. Um, and I guess he got Tech Tool Pro. He also ran version 13 uh, to check the RAM. Uh, and that seemed to say everything was fine as well. Huh. Um, and he even ran the Apple hardware test and that 
seem to, well, no, let's see. He got a flash of the internet macOS internet recovery icon. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, let me see if we got anything else here. Uh, all right. So appreciate whatever uh, help you could provide here. Um, I admit my Mac is getting a bit long in the tooth, but would prefer to replace it a little later rather than sooner. Um, and I think that is, yeah, that's about it here. So I'm going to take a guess on this one here, Dave. Okay. Uh, man, why keep doing this to me? Evernote. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, for file performance issues, Dave, I would first try to clear out any caches. Um, starting up in safe mode does some of that. And there's also a bunch of stuff in Onyx, which is definitely available for your operating system. Uh, mostly in the maintenance, rebuilding and maintenance cleaning options. Um, there's all sorts of caches and stuff. And if a cache gets corrupt, you may be running into issues like things stalling and not not completing um but if i had to take a guess dave even though various utilities say that things are okay i think that the rotational drive portion of your fusion drive which by my count is eight years old <laughs> is failing so i would try to remove or replace that oh interesting i think that machine from what i saw in mac tracker i think that machine has a 256 gig ssd you may be able to make a larger one. Yeah. So, yeah, because yeah, when hard drives fail or are starting to fail, they can tie up the whole system because, you know, they're, they're constantly trying to reload. And yeah. I don't know if it, it's making noise, you know, the click of death or something like that. But that is my, or maybe even the SSD is starting to, uh, well, no, the SSD would just stop working. It, our experience uh, has, you, you would, has been that the SSD just like, if an, when an SSD fails, mm -hmm. the machine simply says there's no drive. Like that's it. <laughs> uh, often, I mean, it, not all. Like SSDs fails in, in different ways, but that's the typical thing. It's like, oh yeah, drive was working fine, and now the system can't see it. Oh, all right, well it's yep. dead. Yep. So that would be my suggestion: is mm. is to replace that component and see if it helps. Yeah, and you could even boot from an external, like you don't even have to crack it open if you don't want, right? Just just move to an external SSD as your boot drive and and, and go. Uh, if that's if that's easier for you, which you know, depending on how comfortable yeah. one is, it would be a good I'm trying test. To remember, yeah, I'm just trying to remember. I think that machine only had USB two, or maybe it did have USB three for a 2012. I would think so, but we can check Mac Tracker that would tell us, right? But I'm I'm pretty sure it's a 2012 Mac Mini. That's what you had, right? Was it 2012 Mac Mini or no? Uh, a couple of generations. Yeah, I had a 2014. I had a 2012 and then a 2014, and now I got the 2018. Right, right. So let's look uh connections it has four usb ports that go up to five gigabits per second so that's usb3 for sure oh all right yeah right. yeah so yeah, yeah and, it thunderbolt and it's got now. and it's got a thunderbolt port yeah it's got a 10 gig thunderbolt port so thunderbolt one um uh, mm -hmm. but you know doable and and with the apple thunderbolt connector uh, the apple thunderbolt adapter i'm not coming up with the right name the thing that lets you plug 
USB-C based Thunderbolt devices into USB or into mini DisplayPort Thunderbolt devices will work with that computer. Apple's connector is bi-directional. So bear that in mind too, if that's easier to go and get, you know, a, a Thunderbolt three drive that would be workable as long as you have the right connectors to make it work. So, mm-hmm. so plan it out, but yes, that's doable. I think it would require a drive that's either plugged into a Thunderbolt three hub or a drive that, that doesn't have its own built in cable because the Apple's adapter plugs into the drive, not uh, it's a male connector, not a female mm-hmm. connector. So, yeah. Yep. Um, okay. I, and then we got a, a I, I had a, Mac I had a, re- I had one thought I wanted to share, John, uh, before you move on. Oh, sure. I, I put a link in the show notes to the uh, article that Apple has for starting up in safe mode, because I always do that whenever we mention safe mode so that people that are listening along can find that stuff in the show notes at MacGeekGab.com. And the article has been updated. It's great because you choose which version of the operating system you have, and it tells you what to do. It defaults to Big Sur, and it has two sections, start up an Intel Mac-based, uh, Intel-based Mac in safe mode and start up an Apple Silicon Mac in safe mode. Last week, I sung Apple's praises for holding, you know, for, for having taken all of our startup commands, John, and pulled them into one. Well, that's true. On the, on the M1 machines, you hold down the power button and you get an options menu or an options list. Unfortunately, that options list, I don't think, tells you that holding down the shift key and clicking continue is the magic path to getting to safe mode. So in Apple Silicon, you shut down your computer, you hold the power button in until the startup disks and options appear, and then you hold the shift key shift key, and click continue, and that will go in safe mode. But I don't think there's anything listed on that option screen to indicate that the shift key and continue would get you to safe mode. So maybe we have a bunch of stuff to remember after all. <laughs> so anyway, I share. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, that's how you get to safe mode. All right. Take us to the next one, please. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right. Quick one from Mark. Guys, I have a late 2012 Mac Mini. Wow. Everybody's still got these things. Yeah. Uh, with 16 gigs of RAM running 10.15.7. Yes. It is running okay, but I would like to get a new M1 Mac Mini. I mentioned this to my wife who asked, what's wrong with the one you have? Technically, nothing is wrong with it. It is running fine and I can do everything I need, but it is eight years old. I just don't want to get caught. Thoughts on how I can justify a new Mac Mini? Um, And I'm going to help you, Mark. I think this is going to work. Maybe not. But um, off the top of my head here, according to my sources, if you want to run Big Sur... You'll need at least a Mac Mini 2014. So see if that works. <laughs> oh, right. And so even if we're wrong, Mark can say the same thing that you said, which is according to my sources, I can't run the latest OS on this computer. And I'm looking to see, John, because I have that very machine open in Mac Tracker. And uh, and it says that Catalina is the latest thing that will run on that. So you might mm-hmm. be right. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. Very good. Very good. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think I, 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 Mac tracker agrees with you. So 
Yeah. <laughs> in in the chat room, Warren <laughs> Warren's comment is, dude, they look the same. Just swap it out. She won't notice. Well, she might notice the charge on the credit card. So, you know, got to. It's always good to right, be up front. Yeah. What? Or the package from AI. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just tell it's a Christmas gift for her. You don't want to ruin any surprises. So get two. Buy her one. Then you're good to go. So I did that for my wife one year when I got her the Mac Mini that she has now. I uh, we She also needed a new UPS, John. So I boxed up. I got the UPS and I wrapped it. I got the Mac Mini and I wrapped it. And then I put both of them in a box and I wrapped it. And, uh, and so she opened the box and, uh, and, you know, checked the, the UPS. I said, well, the, the, open the, open the big one first. Cause the other one's just an accessory for it. So she opened the box at the UPS and she's like, Oh, thanks. You know, great. You got me a, a new mm-hmm. UPS. Like, like, great. I'm like, well, you needed it. Like it was time. She's like, okay. And she's like, this is just some accessory. I said, yeah, it's just an accessory that you plug into the UPS. And, uh, and that's what had the Mac mini in it. So, you know, the, the things we do, the fun that we can have with things like that. So. All right. Uh, yeah. Louis asks a question. And so we have an answer because it's how we do things here at Mac Geek Gab. Louis says, I-, I just got a M1 Mac mini to replace my old Mac mini and it runs my Plex media server and it works great so far. But I have a quick question. I want to make sure my Mac mini reboots and runs Plex media server after a power failure. The only thing I could come up with is an automatic login, but my only account is an admin account. Is this the only way to do it? Any suggestions to limit access? My Mac mini has no keyboard or mouse or monitor. I set it to immediately require a password when the screensaver is started. And I set the screensaver to five minutes. It just feels too easy to access for some reason. Maybe I'm just paranoid. No, I mean, I understand, you know, there, there's a couple things that you're going to want to do. Number one is, I think Plex Media Server will run okay under a non-privileged user. So you could run, you know, create a, a, a normal user account as opposed to an admin account and have that auto log in and have that run Plex Media Server. You could create an Apple script that, or an automator action, I think, that triggers screensaver, therefore locking the screen and have that also launch at login. Uh, and I think you're also going to have to turn off file vault if you have it on, because if the machine ha- suffers a power failure, I think it's going to be sitting waiting at the, you must unlock me because I'm file vault screen. When you turn, when the Mac comes back on without you sitting there, I think now by default, I think file vault would not be on, on that drive, but I could be very wrong about that. So check that in, uh, it's in system preferences, security, and privacy, I believe, if my memory is not failing me on this one. And I don't think it is. It's in the file vault thing. So make sure that, you know, test it, right? That when you start it up, it actually starts up properly and goes all the way. You know, shut it down, just turn it on and take your hands off it and watch and see what happens. So that's that's what I would do. Any thoughts from you on that one, John? No. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. We have, uh, we have some router questions to answer. We have some cool stuff found to get to. I don't know if we'll get to the router questions today because I want to get to some cool stuff found. So we'll do that next. But actually what I want to do, uh, very next John, if, uh, you know, if it's all the same to you 
is I would like to uh, to share some notes about our next sponsors, if that works for you. Please. All right, look. Earlier this year, more than 100 Twitter users got their accounts hacked into. Passwords, email addresses, phone numbers, and more. All taken from high-profile people like Joe Biden, Elon Musk, and even Kanye West. These kinds of attacks are getting more frequent and more severe. And it's not just Twitter, right? Facebook, eBay, Uber, Adobe, and Yahoo have leaked data such as passwords or credit card info or driver's licenses belonging to billions of users. Here's the deal. If somebody can hack Elon Musk... Just imagine how easy it would be for them to hack you. And that's one of the reasons I use ExpressVPN to safeguard my personal data online. ExpressVPN makes it super easy, too. They have apps for your iPhone. They've got an app for your Mac. It's, it's an app everywhere. And it's one click, and boom, you're funneling your data through a secure encrypted tunnel so that no matter which device you use, you can have peace of mind every time you use the Internet. Not only do you get this encrypted tunnel, but you get their trusted server over there at ExpressVPN, which means they can't store anything about your session. It's great. And if you visit expressvpn.com MGG right now, you can arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com MGG. Visit expressvpn.com MGG to learn more. And our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Checkout.com at Checkout.com slash MGG. Look, an independent report showed that last year alone, false declines cost U.S. businesses over $15 billion. False declines are what happens when an online purchase made using a valid card is declined, when it should have been accepted, often the result of technical, financial, or fraud scoring reasons. That's why if your business takes payments online, and I know there's so many of you out there who do, consultants and service providers, you need a unique payment solution that provides you with granular data and helps you better optimize your payments. And here's where Checkout.com will serve your needs. They've got a great system. You can check it all out at Checkout.com slash MGG. They really know what they're doing there in their white paper that goes through all of this stuff. It's fantastic. I, I think I think you're going to love this. The way that they manage risk. You know, they've got this unified payments platform so that you can just tie everything together. And Checkout.com gives you insights so you can optimize your customer's experience to get the most out of every transaction and gain a granular understanding of how cash flows in and out of your business. Cash flow is key, right? Profits are great, but you got to have cash flow first because otherwise it doesn't matter. You'll never make it to profits. Checkout.com helps you see that, and that's really important. Learn more at checkout.com slash MGG. You can download their free white paper report and learn how you can generate more growth through their payment platform. Their white paper report has a ton of great information and statistics that will show you how the future of payment solutions is strategic and for scale. That's checkout.com slash MGG to download their free white paper report. Checkout.com slash MGG, and our thanks to checkout.com for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Business Wars from Wondery. Listen, you know, tech entrepreneurs are in an all-out race to cash in on our collective addiction to social media. It's a fight that started in Silicon Valley that's now gone global. And in the newest season of Wondery's Business Wars, TikTok versus Instagram, they track the war between two social media giants. 
I've listened to the first episode here. They, I mean, it sounds great because of course it does, but they've really done a great job to tell this story in a way that's engaging, even kind of, you know, pulling in characters in a way that really makes you want to listen. And, and they set the stage that I want to listen to the next one now, you know, and it's because in the last couple of years, like TikTok has become one of the most popular apps around. And despite all the political constraints, TikTok has still managed to pose a serious threat to its American counterpart, Instagram, right? And that's where Business Wars steps in to touch on the history behind the founding of both apps and what they've done in recent years to become two of the largest social media platforms to exist. Listen to the latest season of Business Wars, TikTok versus Instagram, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Our thanks to Wondery and Business Wars, TikTok versus Instagram, for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, we've got some cool stuff found here, and Bob brings us in with something I had never heard about before, but uh, he says, can I use my old 2012 MacBook Air? with its 45-watt charger, he thinks, MagSafe, with this adapter. And the adapter that he pointed out is the AnyWatt MagSafe to USB-C converter. Uh, he found it on Amazon, and it's, you know, for 22 bucks or so, it plugs into your USB-C port, uh, you know, on your on your MacBook Air, whatever that is, or your your uh, MacBook Pro, sorry. And uh, and then has a MagSafe uh on the MagSafe one and two on the other end or a way to get from MagSafe one and or two to each other. So uh, for 22 bucks, it looks like you can maybe use all those old MagSafe things with your new MacBook pro or air or, you know, anything that supports USB-C. So I, 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 I don't know. I, it seems like, seems like you could, I mean, it, the, I checked the reviews on it. I'd say it's worth a shot. Do you have any of those laying around that you might test this with John? Mm. Or did you get rid of all those chargers when you when you migrated off to your? Yeah, they are currently in my elect free electronic recycling box. Well, there you because go. Because I don't have any old MagSafe devices anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't and know. I actually have. Uh, I actually have. Uh, uh, if UPS is uh, accurate, I think on Monday or tomorrow I will be getting. Uh, some MagSafe chargers for my phone. So, oh, oh, the Apple, yes, new MagSafe, not old mm -hmm. Mag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. They're on the way. Cool. All right. Uh, moving along, cool stuff found. Thanks. So, thank you, Bob. Uh, Gregorio, uh, who is from the uh, the from iMazing or from D DigiDNA, and uh, anyway, sends us a note about two free utilities that they have. One is called Silicon, and the other is called Hot. Hot is a little menu bar app that displays in real time whether your Intel CPU is throttling due to thermal issues. Uh, I think they might be working on trying to get it to work for M1, but certainly for Intel, you can see if your CPU is throttling due to thermal issues and, and maybe that's your way of justifying that cost. Uh, of getting that new uh, that new MacBook uh, that new Mac Mini mark, so that that might be one way to do it because those old minis they they ran hot, so uh, so that's hot. And then the other one, Silicon, it scans all your macOS apps and displays their supported CPU architecture, uh, and it's specially made to detect apps which offer or don't offer Apple 
silicon support natively. And and I believe Go 64, while we're on the subject, does the same. I think that also has been updated for Apple Silicon, too. So you can see which apps are updated. And uh, even if you don't have an, if you're just curious what, um, you know, what apps are and how the adoption of Apple Silicon is on third party developers running one of these apps on on your Mac might surprise you. Because there's just so, it's amazing how many things are moving over, as we were saying before. So anyway, thank you, Gregorio. That's great. Good stuff. John, I have a uh, a cool stuff found. Webcams have become even more important because we're all using Zoom and all that stuff. And I've been testing out a few non-Logitech webcams because I thought, well, you know, everybody knows Logitech makes decent webcams. What about all these other ones? And uh and I found this one called the Pop-A-Look PA552, which is a 1080p webcam. And the cool part about it is it's got an integrated ring light right in it. So uh, it, it, it can and you can adjust the uh, the strength of the light when the camera is on. It's got a little clip or not a clip, but a um, uh, I don't know, the pressure mount or something where it, it just or it's a cantilever mount, I should say, where it will count mount on the top of hmm. whatever monitor you have, which is similar to how a lot of other webcams work. But uh, but the cool part about this one is the 1080p camera. The microphones in it uh, work well for video conferencing. You can you know angle it any way you want, and it's got um, it's got that little ring light right around the camera. So it's not a bad little not a bad little thing. As I put the camera away, uh, and I've used it. You know, we've used it for some of our family zooms uh, and all that stuff. So works out well. Pretty good. Uh, any cool stuff found from you, John, or should I keep pouring through what the listeners have sent in here? Um, I was looking. Uh, I'll keep looking on my other machine. I had okay. another uh, app that does like architectural. Uh, uh, oh, similar to some of the ones you mentioned before. So, pardon me for looking away. But yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No problem. Uh, Andrew. Uh, wrote in and says uh, in Big Sur, Apple has removed the calculator from whatever the widgets thing was called on the right side of the screen in Catalina. Fist shake at Apple. Good news. Uh, he says PCalc has a Mac app that puts the calculator icon in your menu bar for easy access. Uh, he says, look, I didn't want to spend 10 bucks on the app, but you know, that's what we do. And so he sent us a link to PCalc for the Mac. And for sure, yeah. And James Thompson, who makes PCalc, is uh, a fantastic person and also a great developer. So, yeah, not uh, not a bad thing. And nice to have PCalc for the Mac uh, available. So, cool. Thanks, Andrew. And Corey John tells us about something that people out there might be interested in. It. I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm going to say Yule. But it is spelled e-u-l and it's all lowercase and it's like iStat menus but it is free and open source and seems to have uh routine updates coming it of course is compatible with or is is native for apple silicon and uh and it looks pretty cool like it's it's you know i've i've run it it's not quite as full featured as iStat menus and so i still run iStat menus but very cool to see this, and it's got some, you know, it's got a different way of looking at things, which, um, you know, which is cool. So I'm pretty sure it's Apple Silicon su supported. Um, I don't know. I thought it was. I know it works in Big Sur, and that was a big deal. So maybe it's not Apple native to Apple Silicon yet. I'd have to, I got to look at my other machine and find out. So there you go. Or I could run one of these other apps like uh, Silicon or Go64, but I'm not going to do that right now while we're 
you know, recording because that might be bad. What do you got, John? Did you find your thing? Yes. Um, Architect. Oh, I like this. Um, from our pals at the Eclectic Light Company. Oh, okay. Uh, so if you drag an app on it, it'll tell you uh, what architectures it supports. Apple Silicon, 64-bit Intel, 32-bit, even PowerPC. I guess that's all built into an app. So, uh, Nice. And on the same page that they mentioned that, they also mentioned another one called 32-bit check that I think will ferret out the 32-bit stuff, similar to Go64. Right. So. Right, 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 right. Nice. I like it. Oh, how do we spell this? Architect. Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one to uh, to spell. Yeah, I was searching for it, and you got to spell it. You got to get it just right, or it's going to tell you about architectural firms. Right. I know. <laughs> it's exactly right. That's great. Yep. All right. Well, we have it. Not only do we have it spelled right in the show notes, but we also have it linked in the show notes, so you don't even have to worry about it. So again, MacGeekCab.com is where you get those. And you can even sign up to have them delivered to your inbox every week after the show goes live. So, uh, so yeah, go check that out. Okay, moving on here. This is always the crazy part about Cool Stuff Found is we just have so many things to go through. Ko Koji uh, has a Cool Stuff Found for us. He says, I was listening to a recent podcast where you were talking about the Belkin screen protector with the applicator tray, but it was expensive which is true. It was like 30 or 40 bucks for just one, but it worked really well. Uh, he says, I wanted to share another one with you that may interest with, interest you. It's from Spigen, S-P-I-G-E-N, and you get two glass screen protectors each with its own applicator for just 13 bucks. I got this for my daughter's iPhone 12 and applying the screen protector was so simple and effortless and the best of uh, all the application was perfect. He says, I used to be a Zag diehard with their awesome lifetime warranty, but the cost and ease of the application of the Spigen screen protector has me sold. And he sent us an Amazon link. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is outstanding. Koji. Thanks. That's fantastic. I love it. Um, for 13 bucks, that's almost like, you know, usually I say I pay like 10 bucks for three of them. So 13 for two with applicator trays, like, that starts to be a cost delta that's not perhaps not worth it uh, to have to deal with the the headache of, you know, placing that thing, just eagle eyeing that thing just right on there. So, yeah, pretty good. Do you put glass screen protectors, tempered glass screen protectors on your iPhone, John? No. Mm. I highly recommend trying one. I, I like they I, I never liked the the plastic ones, you know, that we had to use years and years ago because they, you know, they looked crappy. They were they would get cloud or they were cloudy. They wouldn't even get cloudy. They just start that way. But um, but yeah, these these are great. So tempered glass. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, the only time I broke a screen was when I had a case that did not fully surround mm. the phone. Um, because it was a case that would allow you to plug in third-party modules so they left part of the screen uh on the bottom unprotected sure and guess what part of the screen hit the pavement when i fumbled my phone well was of course that part yeah that's right. so yeah, yeah yeah so um either one of those or you know the uh the uh, uh um spec case that i have advertises drop protection uh because it fully uh sorry yeah we, we talked about it before yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've never, uh, yeah, maybe just 
I had a bad experience with some of those in the past because it was like air bubbles and, mm. you know, <laughs> yeah, it was frustrating to see that and I couldn't quite figure it out. But you, the, the ones that you've recommended, you told me you didn't have any problems. No, so. the, the trick I will say again is um, when you put one of these on, you know, put it down on the phone, get it lined up. However you're doing it. If you've got an applicator tray, great. If not, you know, it, it's not that hard, but still get it lined up and immediately press your thumb or finger in the center of the screen protector. And that way mm -hmm. it will, and, and then immediately start, you know, pushing to the outer edges because you don't want the outer edges to seal before you've pushed the air out of them. Right. And, and if you do have a little bubble, mm -hmm. just pick up the edge of the screen. It's, it, you know, the adhesive, I mean, it, you can peel it off anytime, but the adhesive doesn't quite set that fast, you know, so peel up the edge, just, just gradually lift it. I usually lift it with like a fingernail of like my middle finger. And then I use my thumb to push towards it. And that gets the bubble right out. It's, it's, it's a pretty, once you've done it once you're like, Oh, I see. Okay. It's not that bad. You know, um, the real trick is making, and this doesn't matter if you have an applicator tray or not, is making sure that A, the phone screen is uh, free of any dust particles. That will drive you crazy because you will seal one in there. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, sealing a, a, a dinosaur in amber. You get to see it every day, all day. Mm -hmm. uh, and making sure, so get the, you know, I usually like spritz the screen a little bit, wipe it down, really polish it. And during this process, I am, it's a very meditative thing for me, John, because I'm slowing mm -hmm. my breath down and just being very calm about everything because what you want is the air around you, specifically the air around the phone, which generally is going to be the air in front of your face to be very, very still because what you don't want is a dust particle flying in at the last second while you're putting that thing down. I've, mm -hmm. I've had it happen. So you just got to, you know, breathe very slowly, very measured, and then I, often I just hold my breath right before to keep the air really calm and then just put it down. And once it's down, then it doesn't matter. You know, obviously you're good to go. So that's, that's my process. I know it's more than you wanted to know. What else you wanted to know though? No. Oh, go ahead. Well, speaking of screens, Dave. Yeah. So one piece of feedback here. So when I was um, traveling to a very small family only um, Thanksgiving uh, deal, I uh, had my iPhone 12 with me, of course. and. Um, Dude, the OLED screen. Uh, indoors, I couldn't really tell the difference between this and my 8, but mm. dude, outside in an environment, especially with bright sunlight around, um, the screen is much nicer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those OLED screens. Now, the screens. other thing I noticed... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so OLED, I, I don't know. I think the other phone had a just LCD. Mm -hmm. uh, the iPhone 8 is LCD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yo, so yeah, OLED is superior in uh, in uh, with, with the surrounding bright light. The other thing I noticed is, so I have a uh, Qi charging mount in my car. Uh, and here's another thing I noticed. At first, I thought something was broken. So, you, you know, you, you push two tabs, it opens up. There's a little button in it. So when you put the phone in and then it clamps onto it, it then knows that there's a device in there. And normally what happens is it, is, uh, it has a little green LED and it'll start charging. Well, the phone wasn't charging. Okay. And, you know, I look at, um, here's the secret to getting that to work. Apparently, the uh, where they position the coils uh, in 
in the iPhone 12 yeah. versus the iPhone 8 means that I had to move it over just a little to the right. And then all of a sudden charging engaged. So if you just going to offer that, even though the phone is almost the same size, the, the either because it has, you know, a different uh, circuitry for the Qi charging or something like that, it just wasn't quite lined up correctly. Interesting. So the trick would be to get MagSafe for your car and have the MagSafe not only charge it, but hold it up. And then you don't need to worry about pressure mounts or anything. So, and I, I think there are those. That, yeah, out. I'll have yeah. to, I'll have to see what's out there. Yeah. We'll, we'll start with the Apple MagSafe. And, right, uh, right, right. I'm, I'm hoping it'll get through the case. I think it will, right? It depends on how thick the case is, but yes, it will. It won't hold uh, if you're using the Apple case, it, yes, it will hold it mm -hmm. up. If you're not, then no, it won't mm -hmm. hold the phone. Uh, the magnet won't hold the phone mm -hmm. up through the case, but uh, at least not in my yeah, experience. Right. But but yeah, it, it will. I mean, a Qi charge. It's just Qi charging with a with a magnet for placement is really what what Apple's MagSafe mm -hmm. is, and because of that, it can send more power over it because it's more you know it's lined up perfectly. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, a couple more cool stuffs found. Uh, VIDL is a Mac utility that allows you to uh, easily download videos from YouTube and other things like that. And so it's and it you it, I know it uses the YouTube DL uh, software at its core, and it's available for free. And so I stumbled onto it this week and figured I wanted to share it, so everybody knows because that makes life easier. YouTube DL is great, but. Uh, you know, obviously even better if you can just do it in a Mac GUI and you don't have to worry about, you know, keeping YouTube DL up to date on your homebrew and all that stuff. So, yeah, very cool. And then on this, along the same lines, uh, at least in the same family, listener Lee says, uh, in episode 840, you spoke about getting a DVD Blu-ray uh, ripper, which rips sections of a disc. He says, I do this a lot, all educational fair use. And require a quick, direct way of getting what I want. I used to recommend PavTube iMedia Converter, but it's broken for the Mac now. Do not buy PavTube. Uh, he says, just this week, I did a deep dive into what is available now. And there are a few contenders, but many require separate apps for DVD and Blu-ray. Or stuck at 32-bit, or to have subscriptions, or other odd things. Here's what you need. It is the Acrock Video Converter Ultimate for Mac, and we have a link to it in the show notes. It's 55 bucks. He says the good things about it, of course, 64-bit. It does both Blu-ray and DVD and will do file conversion, and it sees all your output codecs, including Apple ProRes, if you happen to have Final Cut Pro X or Motion or something like compressor installed. Uh, massive I.O. format support. It has an edit function to rip just clips. It's got a one-step process. John is enjoying his coffee. Uh, it's got, uh, he, and he says they've got great support too. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, thank you, Lee. Excellent, excellent. Sounds like you might be at the end of your coffee, John. Good news, we're almost at the end of the show. So, Yeah, it's in my uh, Apple mug. Very nice. Very nice. But cool. they, put, they only put one apple on it. Why didn't they put two apples on it? Uh, the Apple only puts one apple on any device. Isn't that true? Or maybe mm -hmm. not. Does the iPhone? Yeah, the thing is, I'm not a lefty, so I can't let you know. I'm a righty here, so I can't see the apple. But well, I can a, see the apple. It's a good uh, dexterity exercise. Start drinking. Uh, start eating with your left hand. That's a great dexterity exercise. Mm -hmm. I love using chopsticks with my left hand um, because mm -hmm. it, it really kind of keeps me, you know, keeps me going. But uh, people say I 
should have been left-handed. And, and there's some presumption that I may have been misguided in my youth. But anyway, mm-hmm. I'm sure I was misguided in my youth. Whether or not I was misguided about that in particular is is up for debate. There are other things, though, about which I was misguided that are not debatable at all. So, oh, what else? Right. Because don't they say that lefties tend to be more creative and righties tend to be more analytical? I don't know. I don't know about that. I've met a lot of creative people that that use their right hands. I, I mean, yeah. And I've met a lot of, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I just know that I, you know, have... I find it weird playing the drum set of someone like there's sometimes like the theater, I'll have to use, you know, somebody else's drum set for a fill in or something. And, uh, and I'm always amazed at how right handed some drummers are, you know, like with everything from the kit only existing from right of center. And it's, you know, for me, I wind Mm -hmm. up having a lot of things to the left anyway. Uh, we're running out of time. I do have two more cool stuff found to share. One is, uh, something I have been able to test, which is great. We were noting earlier this year that to use a an Atmos compatible or an Atmos capable soundbar like the Sonos Arc, you either needed to have a TV that was your would take that Arc signal and pass it through. And that's why I had to get a, an LG OLED TV. Speaking of OLED, man, that anyway, uh, because that was the only switch box that was available. Well, that is still technically true that it is the only switch box that is available, but there is from HD fury, the 4k Arcana 18 gigabit per second pass through box that, uh, it doesn't switch, but I'm guessing they might be coming with something that does, uh, but it allows you to take your HDMI signal into it. So this is for people who have a TV that doesn't support pass through to your soundbar. You take the HDMI signal, you plug it into this box and then two come out. One goes to your TV, one goes to your soundbar. So it breaks out the arc signal uh, for your, it essentially creates an audio return channel to go to your soundbar. And uh, it works perfectly with the Sonos Arc. I've tested it here. It's got a really cool display that tells you all kinds of geeky details about what the signal is and what it's sending where and all that stuff. So it's cool just from that uh, from that level too. And uh, they have they sold out of their first stock of them, but it looks like they've got another round of them coming uh, in a couple of weeks here. So I will put. Uh, that in the show notes because it's very cool that that exists for exactly the scenario that I was running into where my TV wouldn't do it. And so I didn't know what to do. Now I know what to do. So pretty cool. And, uh, sure, sure. Oh, yo, Kaz. Yes. So Kaz tells us John about, uh, a great little utility and it is called Foxtrot search at foxtrot-search.com. It is a next-level file indexing and data portability and search application. He says it's great for digging through a library of research. It also indexes package files, Evernote XML files, iMessage archives, email, etc. And the accompanying iOS app lets you take the plain text contents of every index file with you on your iPhone or iPad. And it's crazy. And this is of course indexes or indices can also be stored on a central server. So this is like search on rails. If you need to search things, Foxtrot search looks like the, uh, the best way to search documents and, uh, 
as they say on their website, find hidden finds, hidden gems and terabytes of PDFs, word processing, email, presentation, presentations, and 300 plus other document types. So that's pretty cool. That's, I mean, that's why we call it cool stuff found Kaz. Thanks man. Very, very good stuff. All right, John, I don't know that we, uh, I think that's it. Do you have any, any last cool stuff found for us before we, uh, before we get out of here? Not at the moment. Not at the moment. All right. Well, then it's time to bring the band in and see what we can do here. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been a blast this week. Fast. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, did we tell them how to contact us? I know I said it early on, but maybe I only said it once. Feedback at MacGeekab.com is the email address to send us our stuff. Um, I concur. I think you said feedback at MacGeekab.com, my friend. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I have to share. I know there's lots. There's always so much. It's great. We really appreciate you sending in your tips and your questions and all of that stuff. We, we do try to get through everything, even though we don't get it all into the episode. I think this week we easily could do like three 90 minute episodes and probably still have lots of good stuff left over. So I don't know, man. We just, we do what we can and uh, we have some fun while we're doing it. And we all learn at least five things. I hope everybody checked off their list of five. It's like Mac Geekab bingo. You just mm-hmm. keep checking your list and then you get through. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, let us know. I, I'm curious, like at what point in the episode did you hit your five? Let us know. It'd be fun. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> you know, you can, uh, <laughs> you can email us. Uh, well, we told, we, we in, in fact, we said that, but you can call us at 224-888-GEEK, which John is... Four, three, three, five. That is correct. All right. At least I think it's correct. That's what you've been saying for years. I trust that it is correct. But uh, who knows? Because mm-hmm. I think that's that's that, that makes sense with the geek thing. So I don't know. Uh, thanks to Cashfly for sponsor for well for being our our bandwidth sponsors for years. They provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you, and it is fantastic. Do you have anything else to share with them, John? Before we uh, before we start our our, our exit path here. No? All right. No. Okay. Well, make sure to check out all our sponsors. Of course, the ones in the episode, expressvpn.com slash MGG, checkout.com slash NGG, Business Wars from Wondery, Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com, and that new Thunderbolt dock is a hub. Thunderbolt hub. Headspace.com slash MGG. So maybe settle after the show and let it all sink in. It's not a bad thing. Check it out. You get a free month. Ah. <sighs> Well, John, I think we made it. Uh, I know we made the episode. We've done an episode. I haven't yet checked to make sure we recorded the episode. But if you're hearing this out there, (laughs) then we definitely recorded it. Uh, It looks like we've been recording, so that's good. I'm hoping that we didn't suffer from this, and I'm hoping that this week you don't. And that is to make sure, enjoy yourself, have fun, don't get caught. See you next time. Made up.